following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. And our gospel reading today comes from the gospel of Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing more to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, once again, uh, welcome and happy Easter. It is such a joy to see our sanctuary as full as we can make it in these days. And it's such a joy to know that so many of you are joining us online. And uh, however you're joining us, we're grateful for your participation in the life of our community. We have heard this gospel story, this Easter story, this resurrection story, told in a couple of different versions already this morning. With that story, so began a whole new era for the world. On that much we can agree. Now, uh, it's not my first time uh, doing this, and I know how Easter is. I know that some of you got dragged here today. <laughs> Uh, into the room. Some of you got dragged in, into your couch to celebrate Easter. Some of you come to this holiday not sure that you believe any of it. Some of you have believed it for your whole life and for the first time are struggling to believe it when the day comes around. I'm holding space for all of you. But what I want to say to you first and foremost is that regardless of what you or I or anybody else believes actually happened at that tomb 2,000 years ago, one thing that nobody could deny is that the world would never be the same after the fact. You see, those, those women, uh, they did overcome their fear, and they did proclaim the resurrection to uh, Jesus' male followers, including Peter, who had um, gotten lost when the going got tough. And eventually, those men did come to believe those women, although, as is no surprise to anybody, it took a little bit of time. And before long, everybody who had any connection to Jesus, from his closest disciple to his most passionate detractor, had to decide for themselves, would they do the rational thing and reject this wild story, this impossible claim, uh, this event that they had been told had happened, which went against all the laws of the world as they knew it? What it, mean, what it meant to be alive and to be dead? Or would they believe it? Allowing themselves to be drawn into a story that they couldn't possibly make any sense of. One that would radically change everything. 
You and I are faced with that same choice (laughs) this Easter and every Easter and every day. But enough of the people came to believe it, and quite importantly, came to adjust their lives in accordance with that belief, that everything was turned upside down. What happened next was that a passionately non-violent, anti-imperial, grassroots movement emerged and spread into the known world, upended the Roman Empire. Resources began to be shared by the Christians in such a radically generous and inclusive way that nobody would go without. The categories of ethnicity and religion and gender and social class were understood to have been obliterated and made irrelevant in light of the oneness that comes in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And this news, which we could certainly call good news, was then preached and, importantly, lived out across an expanding geography so that the whole known world would come to hear the message, the good news of their salvation And of the fact that the doors to God's kingdom, which may have been closed to them or only opened just a little bit according to certain restrictions, were now being thrown wide open. That all were saved and all were welcomed. A movement of self-sacrificial love, inspired by the ultimate act of self-sacrifice, and love became the basis not first and foremost of a new religion but of an entirely new worldview a completely different way of thinking about everything and everyone and if what i've just described to you as the movement of the early christian church sounds painfully like the opposite of what we see sometimes in modern christianity now that's because it pretty much is But that is what Christianity was in its infancy. And even secular scholars and historians agree that this movement changed the world forever. By the way, if the thought of trying to recover the idea of doors being open wide is appealing to you, if trying to recover that original vision of the church in the modern day is something that excites you and that you would wish for, I'm going to urge you to come back. Either come back to this room uh, for services over the next several weeks or join us on Zoom or Facebook, engage with our uh, content, to use a kind of gross um, neo-marketing term, (laughs) be part of the story, as over those next several weeks, we're going to be exploring those stories from the early Christian church, those radical moments of inclusion, of doors being opened wider and wider. We're going to do our best to make that model from the first century something that we turn into 
a reality here in the 21st century. We're going to talk about all kinds of really wonderful, powerful stories. And I guess I would just say this. Please don't miss church two weeks from today on April 18th. That's going to be an important one in the life of our church. That's what they call a teaser. (laughs) But this morning, in the brief time that we have left together on this blessed day, I want to share some thoughts with you based on some of the writings of the early Christian church. Some of the writings that were uh, from the people who were part of this movement from the very beginning, people who had to wrestle with the concepts of death and loss and oppression and confusion and persecution. People who, I'm sure, had to fend off their own doubts and reservations and worries about such a radical story and persevere in the calling of Christ. People who actually probably aren't so different from you and I in that respect. Now, as you can imagine, as this movement gained traction, the leaders of the movement traveled around and spread it. There was continual correspondence between the apostles and the church, the churches that they had founded. And in a moment, I'm going to read to you from one of the letters of the New Testament. Uh, But before I do that, I want to get a little bit of a sense of what the congregation might be feeling like today. Um, I want to take your temperature. (laughs) Uh, So uh, on Zoom, you can maybe just... Uh, I'm going to give you a list of words and phrases, and if you'd like to type into the chat um, uh, which of these words or phrases connects with you, you can do that. And here in the room, I know that Artisan is a pretty reserved group, even when we you know, aren't all wearing masks and feeling strange and sort of awkward being in a group of people for the first time in a year. Um, but maybe you can just give me, I'm going to say raise your hand if you feel this way, and I know that for Artisan that usually means just like... Raise a finger, okay? And that's fine. You can do just that if you want. But here's the words. Do any of you feel the following ways? Do you feel afflicted? Do you feel perplexed? Do you feel persecuted? Do you feel struck down? Do you feel, now this one is going to hit heavy, but I can't, possibly come up with a better way to say what some of you might be feeling. Do you feel like you are carrying death around in your very body? After the year that we have had, I'm not at all surprised that so many of those phrases resonated with so many of you in the room, and as I read the chat on Zoom, I see people owning some of those phrases for themselves as well. That list came from the passage that I'm about to read to you now. This is 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our bodies. 
For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you hear the hopefulness in that passage? Can you see it kind of growing up out of the despair like the green tips of a tulip poke up through the spring ground? There's so much to love about this passage. I love how it doesn't dismiss the idea that one might feel afflicted or persecuted or perplexed. It doesn't dismiss the idea that you might feel like you're walking around holding death, carrying death in your very body. It doesn't say a true Christian would not feel these things and it's only those who don't have the spirit of Christ in them who continue to feel that way. It doesn't sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? (laughs) If you know, you know. (laughs) Instead of dismissing or denying those very real emotions and feelings, it acknowledges them, this passage, but does not allow them to overwhelm. And it counterbalances them using this little tiny conjunction word, just the simple word, but. Have you ever been um, maybe having a performance review at work or a, a conversation with somebody that you know isn't going very well and they say something kind of nice and then they pause and you think, I know what the next word is going to be. <laughs> I hear a but coming on. How many of you have ever felt that way? This passage does the opposite. Afflicted, but not crushed. But not driven to despair. But not forsaken. But not destroyed. I love that. And I love the sense of purpose of it all. Why do we walk around carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies? So that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. That phrase, so that, connects it. It's like this thing derives from the other. You can't have the good one without the bad one. Like a mechanic might say, I took the tire off your car so that I could replace the brakes. And it says, death is at work in us. Kind of like a skilled mechanic might be at work on a car. There's a lot to love about this passage, but what I love most about it is that central image right at the beginning where it says, we have this treasure in clay jars. Um, I have a piece of pottery here, right? I brought this with me uh, today, and when I picked it up so joyfully this morning, my my wife was sitting right there where you're sitting, and she went... (laughs) And the reason that she did, she has a very good reason. I think she has about six good reasons, as a matter of fact, because this piece of uh, pottery is by an artist. I think the artist's name is Bill Callahan, but I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, we've gotten a number of his pieces over the years. I think we've gotten six or seven of them, and now we have one. 
I buy them as gifts. Uh, the problem is I am as clumsy as I am generous. And there have been many tears shed in my house when I knocked one of these beautiful pieces off the counter and it shattered on the floor. So this is the, <laughs> this is the last one we've got left. I'm just going to put that right there. <laughs> I love the idea of storing something valuable inside a piece of pottery. <laughs> what a dumb place to put something valuable. I've been playing with this idea in my mind all, all, all for the past few weeks, actually, now, and I still don't feel, feel like I quite have it all figured out. But like all of the most beautiful poetry, I think it contains an image whose meaning is deeper than my capacity to understand it. But let's explore it for a minute. Think of the most valuable thing you own. The most priceless treasure in your house. The thing that if you knew, found out that your house was burning, that you would go get it before you went outside. I think we're told not to do that kind of thing, but we all have something in our house that we might want to do that with, right? And now imagine that you are storing that valuable, priceless thing, maybe an heirloom or something like that, not in a safe, not in a fireproof box, but in a very breakable container. A priceless treasure in a fragile vessel. That's the image that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 4. And he seems to connect that image to the idea of resurrection and the power that faith in the living Christ brings. That seems about right to me. A belief that is both priceless and fragile. Anybody who's ever believed anything that's made a difference in their life and then found themselves coming to a point in life where it was difficult to continue to believe it knows exactly what that feels like. There's this priceless treasure and it's in such a fragile vessel. So it applies to our faith. But I'm wondering today if it might also apply to us, to each one of you, and to me. Could it be that we are in fact the priceless heirlooms? That each one of us is a treasure to God of infinite value? Could it be that God wants to save us from the burning house? I think that's true. I believe that's true. And, which is usually a better word than but, by the way, and could it also be that we are the fragile vessels? That each of us was made for a purpose, like this picture was made for a purpose. That we are capable of containing the valuable gifts that God has given to us and that God wants to give to the world through us. But that we hold those priceless treasures 
in our fragile states. This is the meaning that I've chosen to take from this image that has refused to leave my mind for several weeks now. That we are both the fragile vessels containing the treasures of God and we are the treasures of God ourselves. And that both of those things are true. And as is the case with most things where there are two things that are true at the same time, There are going to be days in life where the one is easier to understand and believe and take into our hearts and where days days where the other is going to be easier to understand and believe and take into our hearts. I'm not a genius, but it would not surprise me. I think I would probably be correct if I were to guess that for most of you, this past year has been one where you have been reminded again and again and again not of your priceless value, but of how fragile you are. How you're just one slippery hand away from falling and shattering on the floor. Now, if that's true for you, it might be that you need to be reminded that you are, in fact, priceless to God. That you are God's treasure. That you are of infinite value no matter what has happened to you this year or in the years before it. Maybe you need what I needed this week, which is a reminder that you are not forsaken. That you might be struck down, but you will not be destroyed. That resurrection is not just your future, but your present. So may you rise with Christ. Never ceasing to carry the marks of death in your body. But always radiating the warmth and light of the life which is found in God's infinite love for you and for the world. Be fragile vessels. Be priceless treasures. Be fragile vessels. Be priceless treasures. I want to invite you to take a moment of silent reflection and prayer. Respond to God in whatever way seems fitting after the experience you've had here today. God of resurrection, may it be true for us. As we sit in the ashes of this past year, 
May we see life and beauty beginning to emerge. As we have been reminded so constantly of our fragility, remind us of our infinite worth. May we be, against all odds and reason, the vessels that hold your priceless treasure of love for the world. Raise us up with Christ to new life. Call us to join you in your mission to resurrect and renew the whole world and give us strength and courage to join you. We pray these things through Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.